0: Hi, welcome to the Rafiki Foundation podcast. I'm Karen Elliott, and I'm your host, and I'm the Executive Director for the Rafiki Foundation. You might be wondering, what is the Rafiki Foundation? First of all, Rafiki is an African word, a Swahili word that means friend. And for 37 years, the Rafiki Foundation has been a friend uh, to and with Africans. Uh, What do we do? Well, the Rafiki Foundation is helping people know God and helping them raise their standard of living. That's our mission. And we do that two ways, through Bible study and through schools, using classical Christian education. Where are we? Well, we serve in about 10 countries in Africa, where we're working with the local church, with private school owners, uh, with individuals and helping them transform their schools into classical and Christian schools. Rafiki is based out of Eustace, Florida, and that's where I'm recording this very first podcast. This podcast will be devoted to all things Christian, classical, African, and missional. So on this first episode, I'm going to give you a little bit of background about me and my journey with Rafiki, Uh, which, of course, is really my journey with the Lord. Uh, Enjoy listening, and I hope you tune in to further episodes as well. First of all, let me tell you a little bit about my story. I'm originally from Texas, and we all know that Texans think a lot about their state. So I won't go on that. I won't go on and on about that. Uh, I'm from Houston originally, grew up there, went to high school there, and then I went to a university in Dallas, Texas. I graduated with a degree in finance and a minor in music and went into the banking industry for 10 years, mainly because somebody told me that banks had good training programs. Back then, I was just happy for a job. But along the way during those, during that decade, two things happened. First of all, I got into a very good Bible study, and secondly, started attending a church that was active in missions. But prior to all of that, the most important thing happened, and this is really the key to classical Christian education, because the Christian part is the most important part. And for me, becoming a Christian, becoming a follower of the Lord Jesus is the most important thing you need to know about me. Someone asked me when I was about 16 or 17 if I knew Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, and that changed my life. I didn't realize that I hadn't really committed my life to Jesus Christ. So with that question and with some soul searching, the Lord, by his grace, caused me to believe and have faith in what Jesus did. I want to say this out front at the very beginning of this podcast. Because it's very important to anyone who's listening that they understand the importance of that question for themselves. If you're listening and you are wondering if you really have given your life to the Lord, I would encourage you to turn off this podcast and be reconciled to God. That's the most important thing about any of us because it determines your eternal destiny. So, I can tell you more about that later on in this podcast, but I wanted to get that main point out at the very beginning. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for our sins. All of us are sinners. No one is righteous, no not one. And the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God through faith in Jesus Christ is the only way to be right with God, to be reconciled, and to be sure of your eternal destiny. So I'm gonna encourage you to think about that. If that is a step in life that you have not yet reckoned with, better reckon with it now. Otherwise there will be a real reckoning at the end of your life. So with that change in my life and with a uh, Bible study, and a solid church in my 20s, a couple of things happened during that time. My priorities changed. I became more concerned with mission work when I was in my 20s. I was involved in local ministry with my church, but also made short-term mission trips. Everybody in Texas makes mission trips to Mexico, and I was one of those as well. But during that time, the pastor of our church suggested I take a course in missions called the Perspectives on World Christian Movement. And I took that course, which was a full semester of time, along with my teaching uh, of uh, the Bible with Bible Study Fellowship. And at the end of that course, I was struck by one thing. And this statistic is true, was true then, and it's still true today. Unfortunately, less than 2% of the total amount of money that the church around the world collects less than two percent of that money is spent on foreign missions most of the money collected is spent on our own needs that was startling to me back then and unfortunately the statistic has not changed substantially now no one is saying here that churches aren't involved in foreign missions many churches are they send out mission teams they send we're sending people out to the unreached people groups and we need to send more. There's Bible translation happening uh, at a vigorous pace, but we need to do more. It was true then, and it's true today. When I understood that statistic, I was shocked. And so what I decided to do was to give more money. I said, well, you know what? At least I can give more money to help with the global mission effort. However, God did not leave me alone. You see, I was a banker back then, and I was thinking to myself, what in the world can a banker do in the mission field? I'm not a pastor. I'm not a teacher. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a mechanic. I can't even do hair. So how could I possibly be a missionary and, and serve overseas? So I was wondering about that, and it's as if the Lord said, you're asking the question the wrong way. You not at. you should be asking not why should I go, but why should I not go? And when I started looking at it that way, I was much more open to the idea of considering global missions. Now, I didn't grow up in a missionary family. I'd never read a missionary biography. And my family, though churched and a wonderful good family, that was certainly not on anyone's radar. I had a very good job with stock options, a corner office, and free downtown parking in Houston, Texas. And so it was quite startling to consider that I might leave all that and go to the mission field. So in 1987, I met with Rosemary Jensen, and I'm the one person that Rosemary Jensen never tried to recruit. At that time, I was interviewing to be a teaching leader with Bible Study Fellowship, BSF International. By the way, if you want a good Bible study, it's an excellent layperson Bible study. I'd been in BSF for several years by then, and it was interviewing to be a teaching leader of a new class in Houston, Texas. I told Rosemary at that time, Rosemary was the general director of Bible Study Fellowship, and I told her at that time I might be interested in mission work with Rafiki, which was newly founded. So Rosemary looked at me and she said, well, what do you do for a living? And I said, well, I'm a banker. I work at a bank in downtown Houston. And she looked at me, she said, okay, well, do you have any skills? And I said, well, I'm a vice president at the bank, and I actually uh, manage uh, maybe 50, 60, 70 people. And she said, yes, but do you have any skills like a teaching certificate or medical training? So at that point in time, Rosemary could not see any way for me to get to the mission field. And I wondered if I should go to the mission field as well, because I didn't have any skill sets that were really applicable. I didn't have any skills, according to Rosemary, at that point in time. We both tell the story the same way, so I know this is true. Uh, So for the next couple of years, I am wondering whether God really wants me on the mission field. I'm looking at other opportunities, but nothing opens up. And then in March of 1990, I get a phone call from Rosemary's assistant. And she asks me if I'm still interested in going to the mission field. And I said yes. And at that point, um, many things had happened with work and with my family. So it was, uh, it was definitely a difficult time to make this decision. But my heart and passion for this had not waned in the least so she said, are you interested in going to the mission field still? And I said, yes, I still am. She says, well, Rosemary's going to West Africa, and so we wanted to make sure. Rosemary's going to go look to find out ways to get people in to teach BSF classes in West Africa. So this part of the story is absolutely crucial. And I'm telling you this because when you are called to do something, your calling your calling is an Ebenezer. It's an essential foundation to you persevering in a work. And my calling to the mission field was so crystal clear, I would have been a fool to say no. So Rosemary and crew go to West Africa. They meet with the head of what was then called the Evangelical Church of West Africa, Reverend Ponyababa. He was the president. She meets with him in Jos, Nigeria at their headquarters. She has resumes with him. She's trying to get BSF teaching leaders into Joss, Nigeria, to teach Bible study fellowship classes and to do other things in the country with the church. Back then, we didn't have our own work permits or registration. So she goes and she talks to him and she gives him the resumes. She hands him my resume. He looks at it. He falls on his knees. And he says, we've been praying for someone like this for five years. We need someone to help start a credit union for our denomination. Do you think she can do that? He asked. And she said, yes, she can do anything. So that was just absolutely stunning. When Rosemary gets back from the trip, a couple of weeks later, calls me up. I remember to this day where I was standing and what I was doing. And she said, Karen, how would you like to go to Joss, Nigeria, to teach a Bible study fellowship class and to start a credit union for this denomination? It was interesting because during those years, God had worked in my heart in a couple of ways. It was like he said, look, you're going to use your finance skills, as limited as they are, you're going to be teaching a Bible study fellowship class. And I also had a deep concern for the Muslims. Well, when she called me with that opportunity, there was a BSF class to teach, there was a use of finance skills, starting a credit union, and Joss Nigeria is on the cusp of the Muslim North in Nigeria. When she called me with that opportunity, I would have been a fool to say no. The call was absolutely crystal clear. That was April of 1990, and by August of 1990, I was out on the mission field in Nigeria. The first day I was scared to death. The second day I felt like I'd come home. So I tell you all that just so you understand the calling and the commitment that I have and that we in Rafiki have to serving on the continent of Africa. Many of us who serve at our home office have had similar callings and have served on the field. I served for 10 years in Africa, in Nigeria, and one year in Mexico City, which is another story in and of itself. So uh, part of my work while there, I was there in Africa was to help the church start that credit union and also to help establish more BSF classes and then finally to help do some of the initial work to establish Rafiki and our Rafiki village in Joss, Nigeria. I'm so pleased to say that today the village is thriving uh, we have uh, raised over 100 orphans, um, many of them now, 40 or 50 of them, are in some form of tertiary education, college, or vocational school. We have a classical Christian school that ministers to those children and the community with uh, almost 400 children, and we have a teacher training college with about 40 to 50 students, and we also help widows and poor women, about 80 of them, in the Joss, Nigeria area. That in spite of all the turmoil that has been happening in Nigeria. So I'm thankful to have been a part of that in some small way. So that's my uh, story about uh, the Lord and about being a missionary. But what about classical Christian education? Um, I went to public schools, like many of you listening. They were good schools. We got exposed to Shakespeare, Uh, art, had Latin classes. We had hands-on science classes, took world history. Uh, But it wasn't classical in the sense that you would understand classical to be today or what classical education was 150 years ago. Uh, We got snippets of uh, the great conversation I wish I had had philosophy courses. I wish I'd had more history courses uh, growing up. Um, But I had good teachers who were engaging, who integrated their content. Uh, We had exposure to music as well as art. Uh, But still, it was not a classical Christian education in that respect. So when I came back from the mission field in 2002, At Rafiki, we were starting our schools. We were starting to build the orphanages, the villages, the children's homes, and the schools across the 10 countries. And within 10 years, we were in 10 countries uh, with the 10 orphanages uh, partly built and um, 10 schools underway. And we were also beginning to write our own classical Christian curriculum. We started to do that. Because, one, we could not find texts in Africa that were Christian. There was not a Christian curriculum in Africa. Uh, there, the, ac- the curriculum in Africa was not always academically rigorous. And we didn't want to just bring in, import American textbooks. The other thing, back then, it was difficult to find curriculum that, had, that taught everything from a biblical worldview and had some classical content and pedagogy built in. Uh, Since it was so new to us, we wanted to have textbooks that basically told the teachers how to teach and what to teach. We needed to do that because we would be working with teachers in Africa who had very limited background knowledge. It's not that they can't be good teachers, it's that they just didn't have the information. So we started writing our own curriculum, and from the very beginning, we were interested in having classical Christian education. I think that was partly due to our exposure to the Geneva School in Orlando and our relationship with R.C. Sproul. And so we embarked on writing our own curriculum. Uh, We just dabbled in classical education then, but by 2007 to 2009, we began to get more content, there was more information in the classical movement at that point in time where we were able to get a hold of uh, Chris Perrin's booklet, um, content from Logos. Uh, we were just exploring, um, talking to other schools that were doing classical Christian education. There, were curi- there was curricula out there that you could explore. Uh, so we had models to follow. So uh, we began to be more intentional about making our curriculum classical. Uh, for a while, we did ex import textbooks from America, but we found that to be unsustainable economically, and it's not culturally sensitive. So by 2009, we had hired a man who was uh, very well um, established in the classical Christian movement to uh, set up our framework documents, our scope and sequence, and our format, and we were underway writing classical Christian curriculum. In 2011, we had a fantastic donor come along, out of the blue, saying they heard we were doing classical education in Africa, and they wanted to help us. And they helped to fund the initial writing of our curriculum and the hiring of writers, as well as uh, the construction of over 16 of our 43 school buildings. Over the last, say, decade. So now, by God's grace, uh, 20 years of development, 50 to 60 contributors, writers, editors, proofers, uh, we have 70,000 pages of content preschool to grade 12, classical Christian textbooks, teacher texts, student materials in the core subjects that you might call core subjects, math and science and language arts, as well as world history and logic and rhetoric, courses in uh, church history, philosophy, uh, all written from a biblical worldview, uh, all with classical content excerpts. Um, We call it sort of one-stop shopping for classical Christian curriculum. It's with international standards, uh, in terms of the content, we wanted to make it of high academic rigor. We are grateful to those who have contributed to this. They are all practitioners in the classical Christian movement in America. Uh, they have worked for pennies but done excellent work, and so now this is a this is a resource that we and the Rafiki Foundation own. We have been using it in our own schools now all this time, and our students perform very well on national exams. And we continue to improve it as we uh, use it. We're into our second edition in some of the coursework. I also want to thank uh, Chris Perrin and Classical Academic Press, uh, and they're allowing us to model Uh, from their writing and rhetoric curriculum. Uh, Also, John Mays and his some of his science material has ended up in our schools. Uh, We're indebted to many classical educators out there who have written content for us and done a beautiful job of it. So we have that resource, and now we also have a three-year teacher training college because after we started building these schools and running these schools and using our curriculum, we realized we needed well-trained teachers. And teachers coming out of the African teachers colleges just did not have a frame of reference for this. So we realized we needed to have our own teacher training college material. So Dr. Carol Kranz, one of our staff members and educational consultant, she did her, she did her PhD dissertation on teachers colleges in Kenya. With that information and with her knowledge of education and classical Christian education, Carol has designed and written and organized the writing of thousands of pages and content for our three-year teacher training college colleges in Africa. These colleges, several of them are now accredited, where students graduate with diplomas and associate's degrees, and they're fully certified to teach. We end up hiring them in our own schools, but they're also going out to other schools. Our long-term plan is to see this classical Christian curriculum and the Rafiki Bible study and well-trained teachers flowing out to 1,000 schools in the next 10 years. We work with the church in Africa. They have they run 20,000 schools, so we have access to those schools, and we hope only to change maybe 1,000, but maybe there'll be more. You can pray with us on that. So that tells you a little bit about my exposure to classical Christian education and how Rafiki established its curriculum uh, and its teacher training. All along, though, the foundation, the backbone of our classical Christian education system is our Rafiki Bible study. The Rafiki Bible study was uh, written by 18 notable theologians. We have adult lesson notes and questions for every book of the Bible, uh, over 550 weeks of material. So for example, the book of Matthew um, has 20 weeks of lessons, three or four pages of commentary, and then discussion questions. Uh, We have that for every book of the Bible. So we we have taken that content, and we have several writers who have taken that adult-level material and made it age-appropriate for children. So not only do we have these weekly adult lessons, we now have lessons for every day of the week for teachers to teach in the classroom. And so at any Rafiki village, when you go to our village, you'll see a whole village all literally on the same page of the Bible. You'll have the adults studying the Gospel of Matthew chapter 18. And in the classrooms that week, the three-year-olds, The 8-year-olds, the 13-year-olds, the 18-year-olds will all be studying Matthew chapter 18, each in a way that is age-appropriate and engaging. So we have this Bible study, which is the first thing that is taught in our schools. Also, children in the orphanages study the Bible at home at night and in the morning. And so we're grateful to the Lord that we have this Bible study material that, again, We have as our own resource that we can provide for our church partners and private school owners who want to start their own classical Christian schools. Uh, We believe the teaching of God's Word is essential to uh, people coming to know the Lord and also developing into men and women of wisdom and virtue. I'm going to end this particular podcast with this information just to sum it up with Rafiki is a Swahili word that means friend. We've been a friend to Africa for 37 years now. And our main mission is to help people know God and help them raise their standard of living. We're doing that through Bible study and classical Christian education. God has given us the assignment of serving in 10 African countries, helping some of the poorest children in the world receive basically a private school education. That's classical and Christian. We have our own curriculum and Bible study that we're not only using in our schools, modeling it, testing it out, and improving it, and seeing great results by God's grace, but also we have this great resource and teacher training that we hope to share with 1,000, 2,000, or more schools throughout Africa. I encourage you to find out more about what we are doing by checking out our website, RafikiFoundation.org. And continue listening to this podcast. The next podcast, I will talk a little bit about why a liberal arts education is appropriate and essential to Africa. Thanks for listening.